The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to continue our exposition of the Gospel of John, so we'd like to turn to John chapter 8. I'd like to look at just 1 through 11 this evening. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Jesus went out unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came down unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So, here in uh, John chapter 8, Jesus Christ is still in Jerusalem at one of the uh, attendants of the various feasts. And you, you'll note, notice here in verse 1 that uh, the Son of God, who uh, has all power in heaven and earth and the cattle on a thousand hills all belong to him, when he was here on the earth, uh, foxes have holes. Birds there have nests, and the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You want to know where he slept primarily when he was in Jerusalem? The Mount of Olives. Uh, he did that in the last week of his life, and he's doing that here. He went out to the Mount of Olives, and then early in the morning he came again into the temple. And then the people just gravitated to Jesus here. The people came unto him, and he sat down, and he taught them. He taught them uh, with... Uh, the authority that obviously had being God manifest in the flesh. But then the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And then verse 6 tells us that they did this tempting Jesus. Now, obviously their motives, the people that are bringing this woman to Jesus is not um, the 
silent believers like Nicodemus among the Pharisees, right? Uh, These are the people that he actually condemns later on in this chapter of being of their father, the devil. Okay, Uh, so these people aren't coming with a sincere desire to receive teaching from this great rabbi, from Jesus Christ. And you can tell just from the fact that they only bring one person to Jesus to pronounce this judgment shows their hypocrisy. If she was caught in the very act, takes two to tango, there should have been two people there (laughs) to be stoned, right? And, hey, back in that day, they were still under Levitical law. It would have been right and appropriate for those two people, if they were caught in the very act, to be stoned. You know, there wasn't loopholes. Uh, There wasn't really any debate. If you were caught in the very act, the Levitical law says that you were stoned. So, um, in this instance, though, Jesus Christ, thankfully, um, came to fulfill the law. And he here is expressing uh, that we are now under grace instead of the rigid um, harshness of the, of the Levitical law where you could get killed for just about anything. You could lose your physical life for just about anything. You know, I feel so bad. Um, I say this with reverence, but uh, for that guy in the Old Testament that, that was stoned for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. I mean, that's tough, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a strict law. Now, this particular instance, uh, in this particular charge, there, there was no flexibility here. You made a bad mistake, and there was a, a punishment associated with that. But due to the fact that they apparently found this woman committing this sin in the very act, somehow the guy got away. Don't necessarily know the backstory. Scripture certainly doesn't elaborate on the backstory. Maybe they let him, out, uh, let him go for a reason. Maybe he knew him. Uh, maybe he was one of those Pharisees. Maybe the, he was one of uh, one of their buddies. There's a reason they let him go. And there's only one person that's being considered to be stoned right here. So they're certainly not approaching this with a, with a sincere desire to receive the teaching of Jesus as evidenced by there's only one person that they're even having this discussion with. Now, I love this. Jesus, what's his response to this? He knows that they're tempting him. Uh, and they, they want Jesus to try to say something that's derogatory toward the Mosaic law. Um, and what does he do? He stoops down and he writes on the ground with his finger as though he heard them not. He just ignored them. Not only did he ignore them, but he starts writing on the ground. And when they continued asking him, you know, uh, just like little children. Little children don't like to be ignored, right? So uh, Jesus is ignoring him. So what do they do? They continue asking him. When they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then he stoops down and wrote on the ground again. So he stoops down and writes on the ground the second time. And notice there in verse 9, it says when they heard it being convicted, <clears throat> convicted in their conscience, they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. 
Notice, they heard what he wrote on the ground. Now, these people do not seem to have a sincere desire to follow Jesus in any way. So I don't necessarily think that we should approach this um, that these may, yeah, hey, maybe there was a big group and maybe there was an outlier in there, but I just don't have a lot of reason to think that these people were necessarily children of God, okay? So I think this teaches us a very interesting lesson. The, those that have not been born again do not have the spiritual conviction of the Holy Spirit of godly sorrow that eventually leads to repentance. They don't have a tender heart that can be pricked. Instead, they're, they're only cut to the heart. But despite that hard and stony heart being dead in trespasses and sin that those um, are, that are not born again have, notice even they, in this instance, were convicted in their own conscience. Okay, And notice when they heard it, there was something about what he wrote on the ground that convicted them in such a way where even they realized. I don't, I don't think there's any reason necessarily to view this as they feel, felt a conviction of sin the way a child of God would. and Because if, if they felt that way, they wouldn't have left Jesus Christ, right? They would have at that point professed a belief in Jesus Christ. And wanted to follow him. But even the wicked in this situation, they could realize their total hypocrisy by whatever he wrote on the ground. And and it convicted them in their heart. They heard it in their heart to such degree that even these wicked people were so convicted of their hypocrisy in their own sin that they went away. Now, what did Jesus write on the ground? Obviously, the Holy Spirit doesn't tell us about that. But it's, it's possible that it might have been something fairly similar to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. In other words, this generation had been taught by the Pharisees their own interpretation of Moses' law and their own slant on Moses' law. You've heard, not necessarily this is what the law says, you've heard that this is what the law says. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And you should not commit adultery. That's a sin. And certainly in the Levitical law, it had a, a penalty of death associated with it. But I say unto you, Jesus is raising the bar here. This, these are, uh, here in the Sermon on the Mount, these are the basic building blocks of the kingdom of God. Okay, And it's not just about having the external pretense of religion. It's about a purity of heart in serving God. So he says, certainly you don't need to commit an external action. Don't, don't let, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Well, that doesn't just have to do with, with the words that we speak. Every external action, every external sin and mistake we make, it starts with a thought in the heart. Okay? So hopefully you don't commit the external action and, and um, create more 
problems, but discipleship and service to the Lord starts with a purity of mind, a purity of heart, a purity of thought. So Jesus raises the bar, which is kind of interesting, right? Because um, we we view the bar in the Levitical law so high. But now we're under grace, right? We're under grace, kind of skipping to the end here uh, of that story. Jesus Christ, through his finished work on the cross, has told us that we have no condemn. neither do I condemn thee. We have that message that we're not condemned. But because we're not condemned, that is the reason that we're actually through voluntary service to the Lord and trying to show our love to him through service, we want to exhibit a higher bar than even the Levitical law. And Levitical law is a pretty high bar. Like it's, it's very detailed, it's very stringent, it's very harsh. But actually, even though we're under grace, we don't have a, a lesser degree of responsibility. Instead, the bar is raised. I'm not explaining that well, but it's, it's almost like a shift that the bar, the, the law is so heavy. And you would think when the, if we're not under the law, then we would have it a little bit easier. We would have it a little bit lighter. But instead, the bar is raised when we're under grace. I want to make sure that we understand that. The bar is raised because we're under grace. And kind of skipping to the end there, because Jesus has told us, neither do I condemn thee. Therefore, we're commanded to go and sin no more. Okay, the bar is raised because we're under grace. So, what's the bar under grace? It's not just about make sure you don't commit an external action of adultery with someone else. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Thy right hand offend thee. Pluck it out, cast it from thee. It is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If your right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, again, I don't necessarily think that these people here in in John chapter 8 were sincere children of God that felt a godly sorrow and a compunction of the Holy Spirit and that's the reason that they left but it's it's just a reality that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and anyone over about the age of 13 is an adulterer okay we've all had lustful thoughts that we haven't brought into captivity that have got farther down the road than it should And at a minimum, these men realized that we are ridiculous hypocrites, that there's only one person here. But I think they probably were even able to evaluate. Again, I don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground. But if he did write Matthew 5 on the ground, anyone that is an adult can look at themselves and say, I'm a sinner. I have lusted 
in situations that I should not have. And hopefully you've corralled those thoughts and they haven't led to actions. But listen, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, especially in this arena. So even these people were convicted in their own conscience, which by the way, again, I know I'm imposing it. Hey, if these if there's people in this audience that are in heaven, I apologize. Y'all are listening, okay? But <laughs> I don't tend to think that they are, okay? But even the wicked have a conscience. God has given mankind a conscience. Now, what, what controls that conscience? The child of God is the Holy Spirit that convicts that conscience. Now, um, what convicts the conscience of, of the wicked? Um, you know, I think that there are some people, if you've committed a horrible crime and you're at sentencing and um, you have to listen to the personal testimonies of the family of the people that you killed, I think there's probably a degree of contrition that even a wicked, unregenerate serial killer might have in that moment. But it's sure enough ain't God they saw. You want to know what, what, um, what hurts their conscience? I'm going to jail for the rest of my life or I'm getting the needle, right? That's what hurts their conscience. <laughs> it's not because of uh, what David says in the Psalms. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against thee, okay? So convicted in their conscience and they all leave. They, they realize their own hypocrisy. They realize their own sin. And Jesus says, he that's without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. And they all realized... None of us have the right to cast a stone. Okay? When Jesus had lifted <clears throat> up himself and saw, and the whole time he's just kind of ignoring them. You know, it's almost like he's just talking aloud and he's just kind of playing, <laughs> playing on the ground, playing, riding on the ground. And then he stands up, you know, acting a little oblivious. Where'd everybody go? You know? Women, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Now, in Levitical law, that she was worthy. She was worthy to be stoned. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But you want to know what it took for a person to be stoned? Two or three witnesses. And what's amazing about this is by the time he gets done with this, there was only one witness left, and that witness had the right to condemn her. Right? Jesus Christ had the right to condemn If He's the one who wrote the Levitical law. He knew what it said. But praise God, Jesus came to usher in grace, not the harshness of Levitical law. So now there's not two or three witnesses to justify stoning. There's only one witness. And what does that one witness say? <clears throat> he says, woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned? In other words, we have less than two witnesses. Right? So, according to the requirements of Levitical law, you cannot be stoned. No man. She said, no man, Lord, nobody's left. And then Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. <clears throat> she doesn't say anything here in this interaction until we get to the very end. And all she says is, no man, Lord. I, you know, I can just envision this woman weeping the whole time. 
And she probably just blubbers out, no man, Lord, through all of the tears. The conviction of sin, when we feel that conviction, when we feel the weight of our shortcomings, when we feel the weight of our sin, boy, there is nothing that soothes the soul more than to feel the voice of Jesus Christ reaffirming to you, neither do I condemn thee. He's the one who has the right to condemn you. Okay? He's the one who has the right. But we don't have the privilege of hearing the, the, the vocal cords of Jesus Christ say that. But when you feel that conviction of sin and you've repented and you've prayed appropriately and not just prayed, but there are many times external, uh, our sins have many ripple effects. And there are a lot of people you probably need to go talk to individually and ask for forgiveness. You know, you got to get right before the Lord, but there's, there are interpersonal relationships that you have to mend, especially depending on the severity of the sin. But what a tremendous blessing in the midst of conviction to feel the Holy Spirit speak to your soul and to, and to remind you, neither do I condemn thee. You know, that's part of the reason that I, I love sitting under the sound of the gospel. <laughs> because it's a reminder. It's a reminder when we show up with heavy hearts over many different things. But especially when we show up over heavy hearts because of our own sin. The Holy Spirit speaks through the preaching of his word to minister to the hearts of his children and to remind you one more time that the God who has the right to condemn you doesn't condemn you. Okay, and that's why I love the preaching of the gospel is to be reminded of that again, especially when we feel the conviction of our shortcomings. But because of that, <clears throat> praise God for that. Praise God that uh, there is therefore, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now, now no condemnation to those that are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. But because of that, because of that, to whom much is given, much is required. There is an extremely high bar, not just for those children of God that have been saved by grace, but for those children of God that have known the voice of Jesus Christ ministering to them, especially in the gospel, telling them, neither do I condemn thee. And what is that requirement? To go and sin no more. Now, that's not going to be an absolute statement because if you think that you have no sin, the Apostle John writes in his first epistle, that's right. That's right, Brother Joel. If you say that you have no sin, then that's an evidence that you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Okay? So this woman was going to make mistakes every single day. She was going to sin every single day just like we do because we're sinners and we make mistakes every day. But because I can just feel the weight of her conviction, knowing that she... Number one, should have been justly slain by those. And you know, the thing about these witnesses, yes, they showed up with the wrong intentions, but they had every right to be a legal witness 
to stone her. Okay? So, I should have been stoned in the face of two to three witnesses. I sure enough should have been stoned in the face of the Son of God, the one witness. But he says, neither do I condemn it. And because of that, because of that, man, I can just... I can just envision this peace rushing into her soul, right? When Jesus Christ tells her that her sins, uh, that, that he does not condemn her. But because of that, you don't just need to feel that good rush of the Holy Spirit. And that moment, now, because you've been forgiven, you literally should have been dead. I want to make sure we make the point. Yes, there's a spiritual application, but this particular woman should have been physically killed. No ifs, ands, or buts about. So you've literally been given a new lease on life, right? Now, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> you better not go and commit the same sin that you should have been stoned for to start with, right? Boy, it would be very, very disrespectful to Jesus Christ for her to go back the next day and commit the exact same sin, right? That would be very disrespectful. Because we've been saved by grace we're held to a higher bar. Okay? And the command of Jesus Christ when he ministers our soul and reminds us yet again that I do not condemn you, that the statement doesn't end there. <laughs> the ministry of the Holy Spirit to your conscience doesn't just remind you you're saved by grace. It also reminds you to go and sin no more. Okay, in Titus chapter 2, <clears throat> it describes... The grace of God, they're describing the new birth there. The grace of God has appeared to all men. And the Holy Spirit teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It teaches us to deny bad things, but it also exhorts us and guides us to live soberly, righteously, and godly here in this present world. So the Holy Spirit guides us to go and sin no more. <clears throat> A few chapters before this, um, John chapter 5, John chapter 5. And again, this is just, it's almost kind of scary how weighty this is if we really let Scripture speak for itself. Um, John chapter 5, Jesus had, here is healed, you may remember. Um, he's healed the, uh, the lame man by the pool of Bethesda. And this is a man... That has been lame for 38 years. And I can't, I can't even begin to put that in perspective. He couldn't walk, totally dependent upon other people, for 38 years. Takes up his bed. The Pharisees um, try to condemn him. Jesus finds him later in the temple. John chapter 5 and verse 14. <clears throat> Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. You've literally got a new lease on life too. You have, you have physical mobility that you haven't had for 38 years. Sin no more. Tells him the same thing. Get sin no more. Lest a worse thing come unto thee. Jesus is saying, for the child of God, there is something that is spiritually worse than being physically lame for 38 years. I don't let that sink in. He's saying there is something that is worse 
than you being physically lame for 38 years. And that is you taking not just the grace that we've been given, but the knowledge of salvation by grace alone. And if we use that in a frivolous way to not be purposeful, to mortify these these sins of the flesh, then there is there is heavy, heavy judgment that the Lord brings upon us. If we get uh, the, the forgiveness of the Lord and we treat that with such, again, let's think about this in a spiritual sense from the lesson of this lady. What do you think the reaction, number one, of just other people, but of God, if she went back and committed the exact same sin tomorrow. That would be extremely disrespectful to the grace that she'd been given. And this lame man has now been physically healed. Jesus tells him to sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. Hebrews chapter 10. This language is, is sometimes used and taken out of context and rested truly um, to try to uh, make some people afraid of uh, the Lord casting them in hell. But that's not what this is talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. By the way, there's a lot of willful sins that we commit. But in the immediate context here, you want to know what the willful sin that's just been described? Not, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. You know the immediate context, the willful sin that's being talked about here? Not going to church. You know better. And we can't say that about everybody, but you here in this, in this room, you know better. <laughs> And if you willfully disregard that, if you willfully disregard that, there's a lot of willful sins that will get you in trouble. But it's really amazing that this is the one it's talking about, right? It's not talking about adultery here. It's not talking about homosexuality here. It's talking about forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Because if you know to go, if you know better, and you willfully remove yourself from that, look at the language here. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Now, God's not going to cast you in hell, but you can walk around every single day. And you want to know the real crux of the matter right here? Jesus Christ is not necessarily obligated. He saved you by grace, but he's not necessarily obligated if you're living in abject disobedience to him to whisper gently in your heart, neither do I condemn thee. He's not obligated to do that. Now, if you're living in obedience and you, and you receive your sins with contrition, he will whisper. But notice, this is a willful sin. This is a willful. I know better. I receive the conviction. I continue to do it. And over time, your conscience gets seared and your heart gets hardened. But... If, you know, 
Think about Saul. King Saul in the Old Testament. Child of God. Went to heaven. Samuel affirmed that he went to heaven. But at the end of his life, he had lived in rebellion to the Lord so much that he desired that spirit to speak to his soul. And you know what the Lord said? You've been so disobedient. I'm not giving you any special guidance of the Holy Spirit. You're on your own in this decision making. And then he ends up going to the witch of Endor and ends up getting killed the next day. But listen, this does not mean that you're going to go to hell, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not effectual on your on your behalf. But boy, if we choose to live indulging in willful sins, then we can walk around every single day doubting our salvation to such a degree that we have no hope and confidence that if I die today, I'm going to go to... Children of God can get in that state. You want to know why they get in that state? Because they're living in such a way that Jesus Christ is not ministering to their soul and telling them, neither do I condemn thee. Right? Now, they've been saved by grace, but because of their willful sin, the Lord is not ministering to their soul with that special assurance. And then continuing on, we'll skip a couple of verses here. But he, he says in verse 28, He that despised Moses' law die without mercy under two or three witnesses. That's what should have happened to this lady. But have how much sorer punishment. There's a punishment that is worse for the child of God than losing your natural life. If someone, if you lose your natural life for the child of God, well, that's when it all gets good. That's what we're waiting for. I mean, I, I don't want anyone to kill me, you know. But if they, if they happen to, you know, I'm sure the Lord will minister to the people I leave behind. But it's really, it's all gravy for me. You know, it's all great for me. I'm finally going to get to see Jesus face to face. There is a sore, there's a worse punishment for the child of God than losing your physical life. You don't know where it starts with? Willful Sins. How much sore punishment suppose ye, and this is how serious this is, who hath trodden under the foot of the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. That's what, if we, if we take what we've given, what we've been given, uh, we don't have time to go over Romans chapter Chapter 6, but shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? These people that, that have such a misunderstanding of grace that their first response is that, um, that well, if I believed in salvation by grace alone, not with salvation by a, a bunch of loopholes and a bunch of butts and, and uh, all these conditions along with it, I just live however I want. Listen, if that's how you think, I know that's probably just a, I don't think people follow it to their logical conclusion. But if that's really how you think, you don't have one lick of understanding about the unmerited favor and the grace of God. Because if you understand grace, it holds you to a higher bar. Okay? It holds you to a higher bar. You don't want to go in sin anymore. Right? True under, a true understanding of grace holds us to a higher bar. Let's go, let's go ahead and go to... Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll we'll go ahead and and conclude from here. 
Now, in this chapter here, um, there are some people that are not believing. There are people that their faith is being shipwrecked. They're falling away. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll start reading here in verse 11. It's a faithful saying, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, um, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. If your faith in specific circumstances falters. I mean, look at all the variations of the expressions of faith, the actions of faith. All throughout scripture, you've got little faith, you've got no faith, you've got overthrown faith, you've got shipwrecked faith. Now, what happens if, if in this specific instance, you know, let's say Joseph, for example. Joseph was walking with the Lord. Potiphar's wife enticed him. He rejected that and he didn't make a mistake. But if he did make a mistake in that instance... We could say in that instance that Joseph had no faith. He had no faith to trust the Lord. In that instance, he didn't believe the Lord. If we believe not, that doesn't affect our eternal security. We believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. There's false teaching that got mixed in here. Verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred. Got people erring from the truth. You got people having their faith overthrown, saying the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Yea and amen, right? Amen. Praise God for eternal security. And that's where Old Baptist stopped quoting the verse. What's the rest of the verse? And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Yes, sir. The truth of eternal security actually should exhort us to live more godly Amen. than the rest of the world. Amen. And when I say the rest of the world, those that have an understanding of conditionals, we're not serving the Lord to try to make sure we don't stub our toe and go to hell. We know that there's no way that that's going to happen. But because there's no way that's going to happen, we want to live more godly, more obediently. And we want to depart from as much much iniquity as possible. Okay? So we hold firm to the eternal security of all of God's children. That even if you believe not in your walk of discipleship, even if your faith is overthrown, and even if you err from the truth... There's nothing that can separate a child of God because Jesus has affirmed that he does not condemn you. But because of that, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Go and sin no more. We we have been given a precious privilege that God chose us to give us his name. Amen. Okay. Amen. Because we're not worthy of his name. It says in the Psalms that he has exalted. Well, I got it backward. He, he exalted his word above his name. But he has given us his name. We're not worthy of his name. But because he's given you his name, you need to honor and respect that name that he saw fit to give you. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ 
depart from iniquity. And that's our calling. That's our calling. Praise God that we know that we, we have no condemnation because of salvation by grace alone. But because of that, we're commanded to go and sin no more. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And we certainly pray the Lord will bless, the, bless us to do that according to his will. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.